0: Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest, once again, is Dr. Jana Baldwin-Lomax. She is a licensed clinical psychologist in Colorado and in Indiana. Completed her undergrad degree at Miami University, Ohio, and her master's and doctoral degrees in clinical psychology from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology. She completed her internship at Denver Health Medical Center and postdoc work at University of Colorado Cancer Center. Dr. Lomax specializes in health psychology, and she finds deep meaning in working alongside clients and community members in creating well-being and finding healing in the face of difficult medical conditions. She works primarily with adults facing chronic or life-limiting illnesses, their loved ones, and their health care providers. Her professional endeavors span across clinical care, research, program development, training, and community education. She's also the former director of psychological, pardon me, psychosocial oncology for St. Joseph Hospital and SCL Health. In 2017, she launched Shift Healing Health Psychology, a group mental health practice designed to provide high quality, collaborative psychotherapy and healthcare consultation for adult individuals, couples and families adjusting to medical conditions and bereavement. Dr. Lomax has been an invited lecturer, an advisor in the areas of cancer survivorship, gratitude, provider burnout, caregiving stress, coping with chronic illness and development of supportive oncology programs. She's a former faculty member at the University of Denver, Graduate School for Professional Psychology and University of Colorado School of Medicine. She also serves as a board member for the Colorado Psychological Association and a member of the Colorado Cancer Coalition and American Psychosocial Oncology Society and a mental health advisor for Fight CRC. Her Comments and publications have been featured on NPR, The Westward, Coping Magazine, TabooDie Podcast, SpondyCast, United and Blue, and the Asco Post. She's currently a fellow with the Integrative Psychiatry Institute, seeking certification in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy as an adjunct to evidence based psychotherapy interventions. In order to create her own wellness and well being, Dr. Lomax enjoys trail running live music events, puzzles with her kids, and time to practice gratitude. Dr. Lomax, I'm not sure how you have time to be with us, but welcome once again, we're (laughs) thrilled to have you back.
1: I love making time to be with you. I really am excited to be connecting again.
0: Yes, we had so much fun last time, and today we're gonna talk about a slightly more serious, well, it's all serious, but parenting with a chronic illness. And we are both mothers and we talked a bit in the green room about how this is, this can be very difficult at times. So while it is filled with immeasurable joy and challenges, what are some common challenges parents face in general, even aside from a chronic illness?
1: Yes, yeah, I mean, parenting, in this day and age is really difficult, I think. And I mean, of course, this is the only day and age I'm currently parenting in. So other parents in the past and in the future may say that their generation of parenting was most difficult. But I think because of technology and information overload, we have way too much in terms of opinions and insights and shoulds about how we should be parenting. And so I, that's where I think the main challenge is, is that there's too much external um, guidance, opinion, advice, and it really takes away from our parental intuition, our ability to really connect with our kiddos and ourselves and figuring out how we wanna show up as, as guides for our, for our next generation of kids. So I think that's really one of the, you know, the main challenges of parenting now, and then, you know, technology being in the hands of our little people um, can be a real gift. You know, I, I remember trying to find encyclopedias to access things for book reports, and there was not a whole lot of information to find there. Um, and so there's just so much available for us, but it, it's, it is often too much. So the pendulum um, has, I think, in some cases, swung too far. So we have a lot of expectations as parents to be um, uh, to be everything um, for both ourselves and our kids. Um, so that yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk about in in terms of the challenge of being a parent, um, managing chronic illness. Is there there's just so much that we're expected to be good at our, being ourselves, good at being professionals and somehow being perfect in, in terms of parenting and it's it's
0: an untenable situation. Yeah, there are times too because everyone they look at you to have the answers. Yeah. And yeah. there are times when you just are like, I don't know, I've never done this one before. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think um, I've gotten really comfortable with saying, I don't know. <laughs> Let's yes. find out together.
0: Yes, that is uh that is motherhood. Uh The anxiety that must be created around the too much information—I would love to dive into at some point because I think a lot of parents feel that, yeah, uh, just in general. But then, when you look at somebody who's got a chronic illness, or for our community, spondylarthritis, I know there are additional challenges. Can you talk a little bit about those? And and sometimes it's not having—it's having a lot of people thinking they have the information, but you actually, as a parent, you feel paralyzed because you don't have the information. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I think, you know, I I wanted to mention um, just one idea that, you know, no matter where we are in parenting, whether with a chronic illness or with other burdens that we're carrying, and I think there is just, there is a, a commonality amongst us that we're, Often trying to do the best we can with the information we have at the time, um, and that you know, to your point around information, there there may be more information out there, but does that really help us be better at showing up for our kids? Like, is there some fact out there that is actually going to change in the long term how our kids develop? Um, and I I want to believe that it's actually about how we show up in the world. Um, and how we do our own intentional healing our own intentional practice of of recognizing that we're evolving too um, that can be a really important model for our kids you know it's it's the dictatorial um, authoritarian parents that many of us had that really left very little room for our own development and so that's and not development, i identity development. Um, and so we're, you know, some of us are having to unlearn some of those um, values or beliefs that didn't feel right for us. And I, I want to believe that we're in a time where we're where we as parents can be a little bit more open to to these fragile little, not fragile, these actually resilient, but snowflakes, these very independent, you know, spirits that are um, that we're fortunate to be parenting. Um, but I there was a quote that came to my mind while you were talking. You know, I think um, I don't know who this quote is from and I can't own it. But the funny thing about kids is that they're the reason we lose it and they were also the reason we keep it together. And I feel like that is so applicable in, you know, managing chronic illness and parenting is that it just like Our kids are the reason that we lose our minds sometimes because we care so deeply about their outcomes, but they're also the reason that we ourselves have to hold it together sometimes.
0: Yeah, and as parents, we want things to go well. Yeah. But that doesn't exist. Like in any parenting situation, we have to like, we need to get out your previous podcast we had you on where you have to learn to ride the you have to learn to ride the waves on your surfboard.
1: There are so many parallels of, amongst parenting and chronic illness. That's what I was thinking about as I was preparing. We can't control who these people are. We yeah they maybe share genetics with us maybe not based on how your family came together. But that's about it. They get to be their own beings, and I think if we can get rid of the term you know perfectionism and get or or perfect, um, and get out of our own way around, you know, pushing our kids into certain um, paths. Yes, we want them to be healthy. We want them to be safe. We want them to have um, good critical judgment skills. We want to minimize as much, you know, threat and risk. But while they're under our grooves for the, you know, 18 years that they are, I think our real task is to help them um, find confidence and resilience, because we're not, we're not in control of mm-hmm. what enters their lives. Um, and the kiddos whose parents are really controlling that um, end up having to build that resilience and that ability to navigate um, difficulty later down the road. And maybe at times that aren't as conducive.
0: Yeah. And you're making me think of, uh, did you read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? I've read
1: sort of the Cliff's notes, but okay. the book so that she, also comes to mind for me. It, it, yeah, go on.
0: She talks at one point of, as a parent, you're not truly a parent until you've gone and told your own parents that you are, uh, you're going to do it your way. Like, yeah. and, but there's one point when I, I hope I can articulate it correctly. She said, we had to get to a point where I learned how to love in spite of whatever my child was. And which she teases out as differently than I love you no matter what, as a parent. Mm -hmm. It's like, go be who you are, be your authentic self, and I still love you in spite of it. Whether or not it's okay with me, like, the love is still there and we're going down a tangent which we usually do but this is this is parenting right it's it's and it's so hard because we do want to control things for, because we
1: love them and we don't yes. want them to suffer and we've all been there in places that we don't want them to have to go and it's a disservice to yeah. them to not get some battle wounds and feel like they've overcome them
0: yeah so in your practice as you work with parents uh, do you see certain differences in the fears or the worries or the anxieties that a, a parent of a child with a chronic illness has or how they can take care of them like what's the what are your what are the top 3 takeaways
1: <laughs> good try to keep us to a top 3 um, i th- these expectations that society has, or they have on themselves, to be on the PTA or to be at every sporting event or every practice, and to feel like they're somehow failing their kiddo. But those are really expectations that are self-imposed, or maybe societally, societally imposed. But they don't feel maybe authentic to those that person's values, and so that that's one of the things I work with um, my clients on. So that's one is because of my chronic illness or my need to go for treatment or doctor's appointments I can't be at other things that are important for me so missing the fear of missing out on important life milestones and then the other is this expectation that you know parents are supposed to love being on the floor and playing with their kids and that just doesn't jive with some parents and you know that I don't know about your parents most parents of the generation above me and my own maybe our parents played with us a little bit, but that was just not an expectation. And that's become this expectation that parents are present and they're getting dirty and they're climbing on the jungle gyms and doing all the things with the kids. And I'm not totally sure where that came from. Yes, it's lovely when we can be present and have fun with our kids, but maybe our definition of fun isn't playing imagination. Maybe it is for some people and it has to be okay with you. And that again bringing it back to what are your personal values what are the things that you can be good at even with limitations um and yeah so those would be the top two things that we work on is you know figuring out that if you miss a sporting event if you miss their first goal hopefully there's someone there that can share that with you and hopefully you can really celebrate that kiddo and let them know you're sad to have missed it. But nonetheless, you want to hear how it felt for them in their body so they can recreate it for you. If you miss those important life milestones.
0: So as a parent, if you have the anxiety over those things, have you ever asked the child if they share the same feeling as the parent around, you know, like, Hey, Your mom's feeling like she's always missing your games or she's not taking care of you the way you need to be taken care of like what's your viewpoint on that as a child as (laughs) the person being given the care yeah i have my own experiences there but i think that a lot of times we hold ourselves to standards especially around like chronic disease and other life events but we we hold ourselves to standards as parents that our kids are not holding us to we're holding ourselves to a standard that's a perception of a perception of what someone else in a far-off land or in a book or on a youtube channel thinks about us precisely precisely jill I, i couldn't have said it better i mean
1: yes i think our kids respond to our attunement with them That, you know, what we think are important life milestones for them may not be blips on their radar, and vice versa. The moments that they take into their later life may not be the things we could have ever imagined that they'd remember. That gives me both a tremendous amount of anxiety and a tremendous amount of relief. <laughs> As a parent, I'm like, oh, that one time I yelled, or um, is the thing they're going to remember versus all the times that we made cookies together that I was trying to create this magical moment, and it wasn't magical. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know about you and your recollections of good times and bad times with your in your own upbringing, but the things we, remember are often very different from what our, our siblings remember, our peers remember, our parents may remember. And so it's really about like what kind of environment do we create for these kiddos to grow and thrive in? Um, that is going to have far more impact than missing one goal. Um, so if, if you miss six out of seven soccer games and you're beating yourself up about it, and that's how you show up for your kiddo guilt-ridden anxiety-ridden trying to you know buy them things to make you feel better that is going to have far more impact than you actually having been at those games um so yeah yeah, it's really about how we show up when we have moments of connection with our kiddos Uh, that's really what what i was thinking about as with regard to people that are managing chronic illness, maybe they only have on a really bad day, 10 minutes of good. And that 10 minutes is sharing a song together, laying on the couch or singing together quietly, or just observing your kiddo reading peacefully and being able to not have to manipulate that moment. That can be okay. It's about that energy that you bring into the room, even if it's just for 10 minutes. If you're bringing in guilt, and you need that kiddo to help you bring your mood up, that puts a whole lot more burden on your kiddo. Um, and so th- that's a really important thing to recognize. Like the you, we need to own our own feelings. Our kids are not responsible for making us feel better. They're not responsible for making us feel bad. Um, and that, you know, when managing illness is a really slippery slope. Around like, if you do this or this, mommy will f- feel better. Or if you do this or this, I'll have more energy to play with you later. And that kind of thing can happen. That is very natural, but that puts a lot of onus on a kiddo, and it it's telling them that somehow their behavior affects that they're in control of your wellness or your illness. And that's too much for any kiddo.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. And I made a face when you were talking about that. Yeah. Thinking of probably times that I have done, I mean, we've all done it, I think. We've characters. all
1: done it, we've all
0: done yeah. it. Yeah, it's, uh, this is a little bit of an onion, isn't it? Like this is, this isn't an easy onion, am I? Oh, no,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't do easy onions, Jill. Um... Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, also nuance, it is, though. I, I Parenting in this day and age has become such an unwinnable task, it, you know, based on how we have these expectations for showing up in the world. And so it, it is bigger than, you know, parenting with chronic illness. I think that makes it extra hard because of these expectations. But if we can really dial it back to, What leads to um, well-adjusted children? I really want to stay away from the term successful because that's loaded. Well-adjusted children. Um, It's typically kiddos who have had some emotional attunement with their parents. They have felt seen, they have felt heard, they have felt respected, um, and they have not felt responsible for how their parents behave in the world. Um, And that is, that's something we all have to learn to do. I mean, I've certainly, you know, when I read the quote, the reason we lose it are our kids and the reason we hold it together are our kids. We all lose it sometimes. Like, I wouldn't be yelling if you guys would just put your shoes on and get out the door on time. That's me blaming my kids for my behavior. And so I need to then, you know, turn around once we're in the car and finally getting somewhere late to say, I yelled because I was frustrated. That is I own that. And you guys are bummed. We're running late. We're going to get there and we're going to have to hustle. You guys have to own that like natural
0: consequences of all of our behaviors. I like that. I wish we could make that like a little infographic decision tree.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: That would be fun, wouldn't it? Yes. We've all done it. I mean, I can remember as a parent losing it with one of my kids because she wouldn't quit with Looking at stuff in the store at Niagara Falls, and we all get in the car, and I was like, "Stop it!" You know, yeah. you're screaming, and then you go, "I just shattered a nine-year-old." And yeah. yeah,
1: we've all been there, and we'll all do it again. Yeah, and that and that's part of it too is modeling like self-forgiveness modeling that this one moment you said shattered that's a really powerful term i wonder if she'll ever remember that you clearly remember that that felt like a moment that you did not feel stellar and being able to say like oof let's not let this moment color our whole day that was hard we had places to be that was stressful and overwhelming and i own that i lost it I apologize for you experiencing that, and can we, are you okay with us shifting gears and making this about Niagara Falls again, or making this about making memories? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, we don't have to carry that burden. We are as imperfect beings as they are, um, and that is a beautiful thing to model. I'm growing and changing. I'm learning.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, in the parenting realm, would you say, that when I was growing up, it was always Sunday dinner. You have to be home for Sunday dinner. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm a parent, I don't approach it quite that way because I don't really cook because why should you cook when you have a chronic illness? You don't want (laughs) to cook. Yeah, pick your battles, pick where you put your energy. And but I do in my head what's like a quarterly check-in that goes on my calendar to remind myself to like reset with the kids, but that's what Sunday dinner is, right? It's and this goes into, I think, self-care in many ways. Like how do we make sure that we're keeping up on the bigger picture of our lives? Connecting. We're, we're connecting, mm-hmm. but we're being intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. It's that's a
1: beautiful example that you just gave because we could get really rigid around needing to have these, you know, it has to be Sunday dinner or it has to be on some schedule that really doesn't serve the whole system. Um, and then it becomes about like trying to shove a square peg in a round hole. But a value in your life and a value in many parents' lives is connect, It and should be uh, connecting with their kiddos in a non-distracted way is what I'm hearing you say. We don't have the TV on. We don't have devices in front of us. Like, how do we connect? And can you find a, t- a time with some regularity so everyone's walking into that experience in the same headspace? you're not doing it ad hoc where while one person is trying to get their chores done or another person's trying to get their homework done that's that is the benefit of having something structured like a sunday dinner Is like we all know that this is our time to connect with one another disconnect from the outer world but maybe you know maybe every sunday doesn't work but can you keep it on your calendar as as a task reminder and let everybody know clue everybody in hey sometime this week what works for all of us and I'm thinking more like teens at this point in time can we all sit down and just disconnect from the outside world and connect with one another hopefully there are frequent opportunities for that if that's you know people sometimes do you know religious services or spiritual services this is the holiday time that we happen to be talking right now there are opportunities for you know, doing something traditional or ceremonial or ritualistic. And those are times when we can connect with one another and share experiences. But I agree with you, it is it is it it is really important with a chronic illness or or even without that we regularly are convening with the people that are important to us. And in this case, yeah. we're talking about families and we're doing that in a meaningful and
0: intentional way. Yeah, we do it all well. You may not, but we do, like, I do it all day at work, right? You do one on ones every week. That's you right. You do, yeah. And we sit in meetings and we talk about what, what we need from each other. Right. Like, right. Yeah. We need to do that at home, I think, is where we're going. Uh, that so- is where we're going.
1: And well, and I just want to drop this here is a lot of um, what I was thinking about is it, it's really important to get clear on your priorities and values for your family, and that you may have your own priorities and values for yourself. You may have them as a couple, as a partnership. You may have them as a whole family system. And we know, we do this at work. We talk about mission and vision. We talk about goal setting for the year. But we tend yeah. not to do that for our families. And we could. And that can really help set direction. That can help everyone understand that this is why we're not doing X, but we're doing Y. And this is this whole idea of sort of picking value, picking our battles or figuring out where to put our energy is I'm, I'm, really investing my energy in this and I know that the consequences are going to be I might be in bed for the next few days but this is important to me this checks a number of my values boxes and I I'm asking you guys to be on board with it maybe it's going to the candle lighting event or maybe it's you know going maybe it is actually cooking something for the Thanksgiving dinner which could deplete you for a week if you're having a flare at that time yeah that feels important and so being clear with your family why you're why you're able to show up for this and not other things because this situation checks my values boxes.
0: Yeah, and just going in especially going into the holidays right now, probably 6 7 years ago I I just was like no more holiday stuff. Yeah, no more cooking, no more chopping in my wrists and you lay in bed with ice packs and oh, yeah. all that, but I think that many of the people who listen to this are it's the same way and I my kids know now that we do a little. I mean, we do stuff, but it's a it's very non traditional because the holidays zap you. Yes. Oh, the and they zap.
1: the pomp and circumstance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, all of it. They zap you emotionally. You're double, triple timing it to get everything done. Uh, so yeah, I, okay. So let's let's shift from there, from the chaos to mm-hmm. self care. And why is it so important to prioritize? And critical is the word you're going to go with here. Okay.
1: Well, I'm just going to throw this out here, Jill, Uh, because I self-care and balance are sort of trigger words for me. <laughs> they, I think, hold a ton of um, pressure. This yeah. idea that we are somehow supposed to balance work, life, and our chronic illness, like we're all supposed to keep them equal parts attended to. And <laughs> I think that puts a, a completely unrealistic strain on folks. I like to, as we've talked about the surfboard, it is more about flexing and bending. And I like to more visualize like having yoga pants on. That's far more important than a, than a balance in my mind, being able to flex and pivot and self-care. I think is a trigger often for a lot of parents because it feels selfish and so when we talk about self-care a lot of people think well i you know i have to put myself first because of my illness but i can't do fun things because that would be you know that would be selfish and so this idea of self-care i feel like it just has gotten so i don't know if it's muddy i mean i i definitely think it's important to prioritize ourself and our needs. And that's what I think is more important to think about is boundary setting as it pertains to our values. That's where I like to evolve the term self-care is self-care can be as simplistic as taking a minute to listen to a song that you like. It doesn't have to be about going somewhere or hiring someone or investing money in things. Because I feel like that's where a lot of like self-care gets tied to like, you need to, get away from your family. What if self-care actually was about spending time with your family with no prior, with no expectations? What if that actually filled your cup? So it's about figuring out what fills your cup. That's to me that's self-care. And then-
0: you're dead on. I think that this is because it's it's and it's not apologizing for needing a break. Or for needing to be inspired. Break
1: from is that break from your own self criticism? Like that would be beautiful.
0: I love that. Uh, yeah, because this is this. You're right. You have to figure out what fills your cup. Yes,
1: and that evolves over time. That's the other really important piece to know. There may have been a time in your life, maybe when you had little kiddos, when you really did need a break from their energy, it was too much. But you can start to evolve over time and realize, oh, their energy, they're able to manage that in a different way and I'm really curious about that. And my break is actually from social media or actually from this so that I can actually invest in what's happening with my kids. And that can be self-care. It is about choosing what is not serving you well, and telling yourself to have some boundaries around that in order to invest more energy in what does, what does serve you well, what does fill your cup. And I think a lot of times people get really tied to like, oh, that was a hobby. I used to love knitting. I should make time for knitting. Well, maybe knitting doesn't fill the cup anymore, and that's not a failing, and that's not a you giving up. That is you evolving, you being able to change. And that's what we want for our kids. Why can't we want that for our ongoing like existence as humans to continue to evolve and find new things to
0: be passionate about? Okay, so this is somewhat on topic to what we talked about last time and to this as well. Uh, I read a, an article uh, in HBR a couple weeks ago. that came out as the, the article is the three phases of major life changes. Okay. And it's a fascinating article that I think is some of this how we grow in figuring out how to fill our cup i think you could apply this here uh, but it talks about three phases one is you have to separate either physically or uh, separate from a, a situation or whatever it is you may have to separate yourself from your disease for a day mm-hmm. it's separation learning in the liminal space because this is experimentation, right? Yes. This is where knitting didn't used to work for me, but uh, let me pick a hobby I have right now. Yoga works for me. Uh, I think it's, you separate from whatever it was, you create, you play in the boundaries and the, the muck and the mess, mm-hmm. literally. Yes. And then you integrate it into your life. Yes. And, and it, those change so much i used to
1: knit yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it's it's allowing for that change to happen and and it's not about failing and it's not necessarily about oh my illness took this away from me maybe the illness made you have to separate from something you know that that you didn't choose the illness to come in and it made this thing you used to love no longer available to you we can grieve that but that doesn't mean it didn't create space for you to find out other ways that you can find fun, find relief, find passion. You know, I was really, I was visualizing as we were talking about this, so many ways that we can find fun that are so basic, like a, a dance party in the yard or mm-hmm. in the in the kitchen or in your, in your bed, you know, if you can't get out of bed, but your kiddo loves a song, like, can't you share that? Or, you know, being able to, sit outside with the leaves changing and put them in a gradient order. Like it doesn't have to be about taking a class or investing an hour away. I think we, I, I that is, I think my aversion to self-care is for some reason it has gotten this, this association with something that um, is a big investment of time and energy or it, it has to be at the expense of other things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It is really about how do you find ways to fill your cup, and it can be. It's about setting intention too. In this moment, I'm gonna let go of all those expectations, and I'm just gonna be present. And that's my break. It's my break from my the critic.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of like the term anti-aging. Oh, don't get me started. That's not a term. How about aging gracefully or yeah yes, cuz it doesn't just I mean, living our lives costs thank a lot, but.
1: yeah but do i mean do we really need it is it really what we i mean because we're trying to reverse what i mean thank goodness we're mm-hmm. living this existence and gravity is part of our existence
0: <laughs> thank goodness so let's touch on this question so as we talk about filling our cups yes What does that do to the outcome potentially or the quality of life when we have a chronic illness?
1: I think it can typically make you more present, more resilient, more able to cope. I mean, there's studies that show us that it can help us manage pain differently. It may make the perception of pain less if you are less tense. So the the downstream impact of being able to do something that brings relaxation, that brings a sense of wellness, that brings a sense of meaning and purpose um, can have tremendous impacts on our mood, on our lived experience. And so if we're feeling a little lighter, we're feeling a little less anxious because we took that moment to go outside and soak up some vitamin D, that can have good impact on our our experience of our pain, tension, fatigue. Um, I'm not here to say it's going to cure anything. This is really about what is the experience of living in your body like, and are there little bits that you can do that can make that experience a little lighter, a little more tolerable, even momentarily, that can have really far-reaching impacts on your own well-being, as well as the people that share energetic space with you. I mean, that can, yeah.
0: So, the, the habit you're trying to form mm-hmm. is learning what fills your cup. Learning
1: what fills your cup, yeah. And learning how to get present. I think that's the, that's the piece that of any of the sort of parenting advice that's out there is, if we can get present even for a moment with our kiddos, like really see them, put the devices away, hear what they're saying without putting our stuff on it, just really hear what they're saying or see how they're showing up and reflecting back what you're seeing and see if that's right um that can that can be 30 seconds you don't have to be present all the time i mean sometimes being present in one's body is really uncomfortable that so that is you know being able to have blips of that i think and not expecting that you're constantly mindful or constantly present as a parent um i think that's you know one of the things that can be really challenging for chronic illness
0: parenting so What? I share a lot, obviously. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I share a lot in public, but often with my kids. So I how do we know what's enough to share with our kids to keep them informed about what's going on and maybe set expectations is the word? How do we know when enough is enough versus you're getting into danger territory and scaring them a bit.
1: Yeah, that is a great question. And it really is about sort of developmental stages. I mean, for some kiddos, um, for for younger ages, we don't need to get into details or speculation. Their imaginations are so wild and you know their uh, their reality testing, what's real, what's not is so loose appropriately that's that's their developmental phase. So we don't need, it, it's not a benefit to them to speculate about what may be happening with your illness or wellness or medicine, but it it can be helpful if they're asking questions like, why can't you come to this event? Or why aren't, I, why are you not on the PTA? Um, if that is, you know, a limitation um, that you have because of your illness, you can say, you know, I have, this much fuel in my tank, and I'm putting my fuel into being here when you get home from school, into helping you get nutritious meals on the table, and I don't have enough fuel in my tank for that. And I mean, that what really strikes me is we're all carrying burdens. We all have limitations, whether they're financial, whether they're psychological, whether they're, um, you know. Illness or wellness or um, or work demands. I mean, ultimately, we're teaching our kids how to set boundaries um, by saying, by talking with them, you know, about sh- sharing with them about limitations or expectations. Um, there is a great center um, called Parenting at Challenging Times Pact, um, and it's out of um, I want to say the University of Massachusetts, um, but I I can share the link with you. Um, and maybe we can share it on the podcast, Um, but it has some really nice literature around what's appropriate uh, sharing at different stages. Oh, that'd be great. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I think what's most important out of whether we share or not is being able to respond to questions that kiddos have. That's key. Rather than us offering information that may or may not be relevant to them, they may not have been worried. And now we're planting the seed of worry because you're overcompensating for something they don't even know is an expectation that other parents have of you or you have of yourself. And so I think it really is about opening up a, a welcoming space for kids to ask questions. Why do you take that medication? Or why do you go to that doctor? Or why are you sleeping on the days when I'm going to school? If those are questions, then sharing then op- that's those are doors of opening for that. Um, for that conversation and typically the younger kiddos find the worst times to ask those questions (laughs) you know in the checkout line at the grocery store why are you buying that what is this cream that you're putting on yourself you can say that is a great question when we have a little more time and less disruption let's talk about it and please honor that and follow up with answering that question. you're not just avoiding um the question but it's to say like hey that's a really good question that deserves a little more attention than while I'm paying this checkout clerk.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: And let's talk about it. And you know, remind me if we get in the car and I forget. Um, so those, I think what's important is, hey, you know, I've been to the doctor a lot lately. If you have any questions, let me know. That's a nice way of saying, I'm open to you asking, but I'm not gonna overshare necessarily things that you don't know how to make sense of this information. Um, The other piece is to say, this is what's happening for me right now. I'm having a flare of this condition. How that plays out for me is X, Y, and Z. It's not contagious. It's not going to affect you, you know, your health, but it could affect my ability to participate in something. Please let me know if you have questions.
0: I like it. So I have, we're going to get to the end of our time here shortly. Unfortunately, we're going to have to do a, a, We're going to have to do like round three. Uh, When, let me step back. How do I want to ask this? One of, I think the things many people with a chronic illness experience is they don't want someone else to take care of them, especially their children. Hmm. What can we do ourselves empower our kids to take care of us because I know that there are times when our as empathetic human beings do they want to take care of someone in pain or in trouble or however you want to characterize a situation how do we learn to be taken care of and how do we learn to let the world know that we are ready to be taken care of
1: I hope that people can see it as a gift that they're giving their little people. I know it often feels like a failing, but it really is a gift. I mean, if you interview healers in your life, caregivers in your life, most of them have been inspired to be in a serving um, caregiving profession because they felt good at it at some point in their life, whether it was a grandparent or a parent or a sibling. And so I, th- I see it as a gift. I also see it as a really important, this is my own bias and values showing up here, but really important that we let our children know they're part of a team, they're part of a system. We all are participating in this. I mean, we talk about chores and how it really is important for kids to have responsibility that can be part of it you know, be, being able to be part of the team that helps the system stay afloat. So whether it's because pain has limited the, you know, the illness has limited the ability of the parent to do some particular task. I mean, that that should be true in every system that everyone feels like a valuable member of the system, that what their contributions bring to the table are essential. And in when managing chronic illness, that may be more, true than in other systems. But really it is an important part of seeing ourselves as something, as part of something bigger. And I happen to believe that we are all, we'd all be in a better place societally if we saw ourselves as part of something bigger and not as just independent beings out there doing things to serve ourselves. Um, So yes, kids can absolutely be an essential part of, the the wellness, the healing system that you're creating in your family. Um, Yeah, I get that there's a lot of guilt around that. People are shooting all over themselves that I should be able to do this as a parent. I should be able to do that. But at some point, we have to decide if those values actually serve us or if they're just proving to make us feel guilty and shame and really taking us away from being able to adapt as a system to what's going on. The, the pieces that we are not, we don't have control over. And kids are more resilient than we give them credit for.
0: 100%. Uh, and you talk about values a lot. And I'm going to kind of land on this is that is there something to, you mentioned it earlier, sitting down with your children, your spouse, your immediate circle, and banging out the, like, what are our mission, vision, and values? Yeah. Yeah. Because then you you create, we call it collaborative maturity.
1: Yeah, I like that. It,
0: it's, it's not easy to tease out. Life isn't easy. Chronic illness life is harder. It can get exponential mm-hmm. at times. But is there, do you know, I wonder... I wonder who could do that. Like that would be such a fun workshop. Family mission. mission
1: Absolutely. There's an approach to psychotherapy called um, acceptance commitment therapy, which incorporates some other types of therapy. But it really is about getting clear about what your values are and then making the changes to live in alignment with your values. And there is a tool within that therapy called um, a values card sort. And I do it with a lot of my clients. So it has something like 70 values or just terms on it and you sit down and you sort them based on most important and you can only have 10 or fewer of the most important then important and then not important um and so i do this with individuals and then you know they often will reflect those to their partners or their families and you can do it as a as a family too i'm sure you could you know google it and find something of that nature like creating a mission statement as a family or a vision statement as a family but you could also do the values card sorting activity yeah um, And a lot of people who are part of religious communities, those things are sort of prescribed for them. So those are coming up, you know, in religious settings. Um, But, you know, that is changing as a society. And so I think it is really important for us to get clear and to get um, direct about what is important to us as a family and why do we make the choices we make based on certain values.
0: Yeah. and, And they do change over time.
1: Absolutely. Uh, often when we're faced with illness or COVID, made a lot of people's values change. Yeah. They got a lot clearer with things that were important to them and got rid of things that they no longer needed.
0: Yeah. I, I love the card sort idea. I have a different one that I've used, which is like 150 words and you choose like 10 or 20 and then you look at the common themes and then you, you kind of funnel yeah. into the values and there you go. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So we are nearly at our time. Uh, I guess our key takeaway was parenting with a chronic illness requires the flexibility. habit of fil- learning how to fill your cup and being flexible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that would be our takeaway. And self-care can be around letting go of your
0: self-critic that's brilliant. Okay, Dr. Lomax. Yay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Spondycast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.